Let's pray before we begin. Lord please let us understand your word and put it in our hearts. May it shape our lives to be more like your Son. In Jesus' name we ask, Amen. It is a law, an irrefutable law, that Christian people are not to be yoked up in alliances, leagues, business, marriage, with unconverted people. If the Bible teaches anything, it teaches against such unholy alliances. Such verses as come ye out from among them and be ye separate. Such verses as touch not the unclean thing. Such verses as come ye out, my people. Such verses as be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. In the Bible, time and time again, God's people the nation Israel, were led by wicked and sometimes not wicked but misguided kings in making alliances with heathen nation. Our nation has followed this practice for most of its life. The first president of our nation warned again and again against making alliances with foreign nations. The only promise that America ought to make to any nation is we'll do what we think is the right thing to do. That's the only necessary promise we ought to make. George Washington warned us against the making of alliances with other nations and predicted our doom if we ever did. The great Theodore Roosevelt, whom I believe is not accorded his proper place in history in America, had a policy of similar standing. In our generation, especially in the Nixon administration, we have gotten a get-soft policy with Soviet Russia which is contrary to everything in the Bible. We read a while ago about King Asa. King Asa had a league with the king of Syria. His father had had a league, and by the way, I hope you'll follow me very carefully. I'm going to startle some of you tonight with some of the things I'm going to say and things I'm going to tell you. Asa had a league with the king of Syria. His father had had a league with the father of the king of Syria. God sent a prophet to speak to Asa, and he said these words, Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore, from henceforth <clears throat> thou shalt have wars. When a nation puts peace above everything else, war is inevitable. When a nation says, uh, and I heard Mr. Brezhnev say this afternoon. He said the thing that we want more than anything else is peace. I've heard Mr. Nixon say over and over again, and Mr. Johnson and Mr. Kennedy say over and over again, the thing we want more than anything else is peace. 
Ladies and gentlemen, when peace becomes our primary goal, it is impossible to have. Peace never comes to those who pursue it. Peace comes to those who pursue righteousness and justice. Peace is a result of strength, not weakness. Courage, not compromise. Peace is a result of being willing to fight. Those who are unwilling to fight will of necessity have to fight. For there are always the adversaries who will fight those who seek peace supremely. But Asa isn't the only king in the Bible who made the mistake of making unholy alliances with heathen nations. King Jehoshaphat did the same thing. God's wrath was poured out on Jehoshaphat because of his wicked alliances with various kings, wicked kings. Balaam, the prophet of God, made an alliance with the Moabites. And because of that, the curse of God was placed upon Balaam. Solomon made an alliance with the king of Tyre. They pooled their ships and sent merchandise to Africa. And God's curse came upon King Solomon. God does not change. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God did not want Solomon to have an alliance with the heathen nation, God does not want America to have an alliance with the heathen nation. If God was not pleased when Asa had a league with Syria, God is not pleased when America has a league with Soviet Russia. Now we've seen in, this, in the last week, Mr. Brezhnev, the same Brezhnev who was ruthless in his affairs with Czechoslovakia, the same Brezhnev who has been ruthless and tyrannical in his affairs with Hungary, the same Brezhnev who has been a part of the murdering of thousands and tens of thousands of Jews. Strange thing. This Brezhnev has been honored this week by our country. And this afternoon we saw something we thought we'd never see. We saw a communist leader given free time on American television and honored as a great statesman of the world. We saw him embracing our president, and others in our nation. We have honored him. Mr. Nixon gave him a Lincoln Continental. He gave him a Cadillac, a golf cart. Car. Please be seated if you can, please. Brother, Brother Rogers, uh, everybody has to find him a seat if you would, please. Everybody, that's good, right there, be fine. Fine. And uh, a hunting rifle and other things. Now, what does this mean? This means that America has gone soft on communism. There are two things it means. It means, in the first place, we've gotten so soft on communism, we really aren't anti-communist anymore. And the second thing it means, we have become so communistic ourselves that Mr. Brezhnev no longer has to call us Western imperialists and capitalist. He knows that he and his regime have infiltrated our schools, our Congress, our local governments, our citizenry, enough until he can now appear to be our friend. He said the Cold War is over. And in that very statement, he was fighting the Cold War more vehemently than he's ever fought a Cold War. Now, <clears throat> what does it mean? We, we didn't whine and die in Brezhnev 
We wined and dined Soviet Russia this last week. We said to the whole world, we no longer are fierce against communism. Why? Because communism has made its inroads. In 1920, Lenin, who, by the way, was considered an outlaw by our nation and is now revered in thousands of our schools across this nation, as George Washington's picture is taken down from our schools. Lenin spoke at the Third All-Russian Congress of Youth, uh, a young communist league, and he said something like this. In 1920, he said, we must rework the culture of America, the art, the music, if you please. In 1929, an association of proletarian musicians was founded in Russia with one purpose given for its organization, to change the music of America. You say what you want to say. I, I was listening yesterday to a radio station, a religious station in this area. And uh, they're having a call-in. I was driving down the road, and they're having a call-in about what folks think about the religious rock. And, uh, and folks were calling in saying they liked it. You may like it, but in 1929, communists decided to destroy our nation with it. I'm not talking about the words. I'm talking about the music. Plato warned that when a nation's music deteriorates into central music, the nation is gone. Thoreau warned us in America to watch out for the deterioration for our music. When the classics were substituted by rock music on the college campuses in America, it was not a bunch of kids doing their thing. It was communism trying to ruin this nation. And the rock music trend of our day is nothing more than communism ruining America. The Beatles are as communistic as Brezhnev is. And the music they sang is as communistic as the national anthem of Soviet Russia. I'm simply saying that communism has infiltrated our country to destroy our nation, destroy our decency, destroy our morals. And she purposely started in 1920 and, and continued in 1929 in the formation of the Association of Proletarian Musicians uh, in order to destroy the music of America and ruin our nation in 1924. Stalin at a Moscow university said that Russia must infiltrate the culture, cultural, and educational institutions of America. In 1933, they officially began this infiltration. In 1933, a planned, dedicated, Attack on the campuses of America was started by Soviet Russia. Forty years ago, Russia, not Red China, Russia, not North Vietnam, Russia, not Korea, Russia, started her attack on the universities and colleges in this nation. And brother, sister, if you want to go ahead and revere the state university, you go right ahead and do it. But the truth is, whether you admit it or not, the truth is she's just about conquered our universities. And now, communists like Angela Davis are freed and free to propagate their filth Interviewed on talk shows, which are choking this nation to death. Interviewed on talk shows, honored by American organizations, 
and accepted by UCLA as a, an authority and a faculty member. In 1959, Hyman Loomer, the national educational director of the Communist Party, said, we must win a solid base among the youth. October 10, 1969, Time magazine said, and I quote, each class of college freshmen is more radical than the last. Not only have they used the music, not only have they ruined, and I say ruined, I didn't say are ruining, I said have ruined our educational system. But they have started Russia, I'm sorry, hell by way of Russia, started the dirty, secret sex education program in our public schools. If you read my little booklet on what's behind the sex education program, you will find, and this documented, you will find that practically every person on the board of SECUS, the board that was the one who has, who has been responsible for the sex education teaching in our public schools, practically, if not, every member of that board has or does have communist front organization affiliations. Now, you listen to me. Communists started rock music. And communists started the sex education program in our public schools. And communism is running our colleges. And communism is stealing our boys and girls. And communism is in our high schools. And communism is, a, is, is bringing the immorality and indecency to our country. It's a planned attack. You say alarmist. You say bigot. You say uh, rabble rouser. You just say what you want to say, brother. But you know I'm telling you the truth, brother. You are in a nation that is just about to be conquered by dirty communism. Narcotics, literature, sensitivity training. And so we wined and dined a nation who has publicly announced their intention of conquering the world. Now listen carefully. Who are these people? What about communism? Mr. Brezhnev, who looks like the fellow who runs the corner store and has for 40 years. Mr. Brezhnev, who has, who has unusual charisma, I think, for a man of his age. Mr. Brezhnev, who has more confident, uh, more confident appearance than Mr. Nixon. And I think who is more manly than Mr. Nixon. And I think who is far rarer leader than Mr. Nixon. Mr. Brezhnev was given time on our television set today to win the affection of our people. Now, what nation does this man represent? A nation that is closed since 1917, 99% of all the churches in Russia. That's who we wind and dine. A nation who's one of who's, who has a leading cartoon <coughs> that is popular in Soviet Russia and is one of the most popular cartoons, has a leading cartoon of a, an old bearded man up in the sky, and they call him God. And a Russian soldier waving his fist at him and saying, We have rid ourselves of all the czars of this world, and now, God, curse you, we will rid ourselves of you. That's the man we wind and dine. That's the man who has a new Cadillac and a new Lincoln Continental from our president. And guess who paid for that? We did. And guess who paid for the dirty liquor they drank? We did. And guess who paid 
for that criminal to live in luxury. We did. Brother, if, Rick, if that man has a right to be honored, Richard Speck ought to be the citizen of the year. He's a criminal. He's a leader of criminals. He is a man can go to Chicago and shoot down seven nurses, and he ought to be in jail, and he ought to pay for it with his life. We ought to say to people like Brezhnev, who came with the blood of innocent Jews dripping from his fingers and the blood of God's people dripping from his fingers, we ought to say, you ought to come on our shores and be an honored guest in our nation. You've murdered our people and you're a criminal. We'll not honor you. If anything, we'll put you behind bars. Who are these people? One of the Russian cartoons that receives the most attention in Soviet Russia is called The Last Supper. It has the artist's concept of our lovely Lord around, uh, at the table, and around the table with him are his twelve. Jesus is drunk, as is Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and the other eight. The Last Supper in Russia is pictured as a drunken brawl between our Lord and his twelve. Who are these people? These are people who have a cartoon called Jacob's Ladder. And on this ladder, Russian soldiers are going up to heaven. There's an old man, bearded man at the top. And Russian soldiers are pulling this man who's called God off his throne after having climbed up Jacob's Ladder. Who are these people? Who is this nation we wind and dine? This is the nation who has banned the sale of Bibles in every bookstore in Soviet Russia. This is the nation who has taken the Bible from every library in Soviet Russia. Who are these people? These are people, listen to me, who have closed every Sunday school in Soviet Russia and who have passed the law that if a person starts or attends the Sunday school, it is punishable by three years in prison. And on the day we have Sunday school in America, we give him the television and say, win our people, win the influence, use your charisma, use your smile, use your grandfatherly look to win our people, to a nation, to accept a nation, to ban Sunday school. Who are these people? They're people who have outlawed missionaries and evangelists. All have been killed or are or, or sent from Russia. Who are these people? Paul Voronev was a Russian Christian. He was a Russian preacher. He was sentenced, his father was sentenced to prison for preaching the gospel. His only crime was preaching the gospel. For 24 years, this faithful preacher of the gospel was in prison in Siberia, his wife beside him, until after 24 years he died a martyr's death in Siberia. What was his crime? Murder? No. That's Brezhnev's crime. What was his crime? Rape? No. For 24 years, while the real criminals were in the Kremlin murdering God's people, murdering Jews, a man spent 24 years in prison and finally died a martyr's death for committing the crime of preaching the good news that Christ died for sinners. 
The only worship in Soviet Russia other than a, one or two ch uh, churches that, that the state sponsors so as she'll look good for international public relations. The only church services are underground worship. Don't you be deceived with the First Baptist Church in Moscow. Don't you be deceived when you see some Southern Baptist papers talking about uh, the Communist First Baptist Church and electing one of the leaders as, a, as one of the officers of the National Council of Churches of Christ, or I'm sorry, the uh, Baptist World Alliance. Don't you be deceived. Russia's no dumb bunny. Brezhnev is nobody's fool. They've built one little church there in Russia, headed and owned by the state, and call it the First Baptist Church of Moscow in an effort to win the hearts of our people and make us believe they have freedom of religion. The truth is, the believers of Russia, the born-again believers of Russia, are hiding their worship. They're hiding in worshiping in underground worship. Thousands and millions have been brutally beaten. Who are these people? These are people whose philosophy and regime of communism has brutally murdered, are you ready, 50 million Christians. And we put a glass of wine in his, in his hand and sing, Hail, hail, the gang's all here, and say, get before our cameras and sway our people. We give them a Lincoln Continental and a, and a, and a Cadillac and a golf cart and, uh, and, and uh, well, I wish you could play golf with me. One of my drives would hook around. And uh, uh, now, now, I have no bitterness in my heart toward, toward Brezhnev any more than I have toward Richard Speck, but I don't think we ought to honor criminals. Who are these people? These are people, <coughs> this is the nation, who has a law, are you listening, who has a law against teaching children about God in the home. And Russian people who dare teach their children about God in the home are jailed or sentimental institutions. Churches have been torn down and church bells have been melted from which they've made bullets. I mentioned a while ago to attend Sunday school is punishable by a crime or by a sentence of three to five years in prison. In Statute 227 of the Soviet Criminal Code, it says to type or mimeograph a Bible for distribution is punishable by three years in prison. Did you hear what I said? To even type a part of the Bible and pass it out, or mimeograph it. To mimeograph, if Russia was in charge of this nation, and if we keep our present trend, she will be in charge of this nation. To mimeograph our Sunday school outline will put me in prison for three years. No bookstore or library allow, is allowed to have a Bible. If a person buys a Bible in Russia, he has to buy it on the black market, and it costs him three months in wages. Three months' salary to buy one Bible, and then from the black market. In Soviet Russia, the children belong to the state. They're not yours. They belong to the state. You see... There are two bases of authority that the Bible gives us. One is God, and the other is the home. And communism 
takes God out of the sky and the discipline and authority away from the Father, which leaves nothing but the state and nothing can interfere with the complete authority of the state. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you know this or not, but that's creeping in our own country. Now, I'm going to say something that may surprise you, but I do not think that, the, that, that attending school ought to be compulsory for our children. Amen? <laughs> Girls, boys. I, uh... Now, I am for education. But I am not for coercing someone. Listen, if a mother wants to teach her child at home and educate her child at home, it's not the state's business to stop her. If a father and mother want to sit down and say, we'll teach our boys and girls mathematics and algebra, we'll teach our boys and girls English, we'll teach our boys and girls history, we'll educate our boys and girls in our living room, it is undemocratic and unscriptural for a child to be taken and forced to go away from his parents. <coughs> when Becky was a student at a school in Munster, <coughs> one day she had a bad cold and couldn't go outside. I sent a little note. Please excuse Becky from playing outside today. It was about 20 degrees. I said, she has a cold. The teacher forced Becky to play outside. I, I, I doubted that Becky had given the note to the teacher. So the next day I wrote a note again. I said, I, if you didn't get, not, did not get my note yesterday, by all means, do not let Becky play outside today. She has a cold. The teacher forced Becky to play outside again. I went to the school that afternoon, or the next afternoon, and I told the teacher that Becky could not play outside during recess, and she said, I said she could. And I said, I'm her father, and I'll decide whether she plays outside or not. And she said to me what a man teacher said in another school in this area. She said, when... Becky is in school. She is not your child. And I climbed across the desk. And I said, if you, I said, you better thank God when you go to bed tonight that you're a lady. And I went down to the principal and I said, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you straight. If I've got to burn this school down, Becky's my daughter. And this philosophy that is creeping across our land that the child belongs to the school when the child's at school is a dirty communist lie. You better check and see what your children are doing, what they're being taught, and you better be sure that wherever your kids are, they're your kids. How about this nation that was wined and dined? Statute 227 says that you can be arrested for teaching your child the Bible. Nikolai Kamara was a Christian in the city of Bernal, Russia. He told somebody about Jesus Christ. He was placed in prison. His tongue was cut out, and he was beaten to death by the government headed up for that crook. It was on our television today. 
Now, if you don't like this kind of preaching, you just get you some little sissy British preacher somewhere that's selling out the communism and indecency, and you just find a place where you can go and have somebody tickle your ears. But, brother, until we get some men of God who are not afraid to stand up and warn our people about the dirty communist conspiracy that's destroying our country, until we get some prophets who went to Asa and said, Asa, you're not doing it right. You're going to have war the rest of your life. God's going to judge you. And as sure as I'm an child, the God of heaven is going to judge this nation for counsel to murderers and criminals and atheistic communists who come and are wined and dined at the, at, by your money and mine. July, July 17, 1972, a couple received a telegram from, the, from military unit 61968T in the city of Kirsch, Russia, stating that their son had died. <coughs> their son was a Christian. They examined his coffin, and they found the coffin, as they opened the coffin, they found that the sun had been punctured all over his body until he was punctured to death. In his diary, he told of atrocities because he stood for Christ. He told of being placed for five days with summer clothing in the, in the cold of Siberia. He told of having to put his foot in ice, barefooted in ice, for five minutes and other atrocities. And while you and I sit here tonight, the man who we saw, whom we saw on our television set this afternoon, that man is holding thousands and tens of thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ, as the songs read, in the family of God, prisoners, for one crime, the crime of loving Jesus and reading his Bible and telling folks the story of Christ. Now, what's happening? <clears throat> this, the Calumet City fellows, who are the uh, city fathers in Calumet City, passed a rule that folks outside the city couldn't come and witness and uh, go house to house making visits for Christ. They do not know it, but they're dupes of communism. Now you say, Brother Hiles, how should we have treated Brezhnev? Like we would treat Richard Speck or any other murderer? You know, I was thinking this afternoon, I hate to say this, and this may sound funny, but I've got more respect for the Arabs than I do our country right now. Now the Arabs are wrong. With the Arabs, they go get their prisoners. I mean, they'll hijack some airplanes. They'll go bomb the Olympics, ruin the Olympics. Now, they're wrong in their philosophy and in their, in their, uh, their beliefs, but at least they've got enough something to say, we're getting on. Now, we ought not to send one more grain of wheat to Soviet Russia until every Christian in prison is released. Until every Jew is set free. President Nixon meets with Mr. Brezhnev and... You know why you're paying more money for steak today and hamburger meat than you were a year ago? Because Russia's got the wheat our cows were eating. You'll check very carefully that... The oh, brother. Signing a statement. Suppose, suppose that... Hey, Richard Speck! Want you want to have you, want to have you over here tonight? Want to, make an, want to sign a league with you. Speck, promise us that you won't shoot a gun anymore. 
we'll just sign it out here and say, okay, then you can go free. <laughs> You're, put her there, boy. This is a new day dawning in the relations between criminals and, 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 and law-abiding people. Would you like that? Brother, when a man has, 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 is a murderer, you don't let him come and on equal terms meet with you. But Russia's getting everything. We're getting nothing. Check the arms. Check the missiles. Check the defensive weapons. Check and see. When Mr. Nixon went to Russia, he sold America out. Check and see. A lot of you folks don't have any idea what he agreed to do and not to do while he was there. Now, what effect <coughs> is this having? It's having this effect. It is softening the feeling of our youth toward communism. I'm going to tell you a story. Anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-Christ, atheistic, humanistic, materialistic, would close every church door in this nation if they took over would kill the preachers like these on this platform, close the doors to Hammond Baptist High School, close the doors to Hiles Anderson College, dedicated to destroying every vestige of memory of God in the world, and we honor that kind of trash. Now what can we do? First thing you better do, and I mean this, and I'll risk my ministry on this, and if this church votes me out, I will look to God and say, God, I did what I thought was right, and under God, I believe it was right. If you have a child that's old enough to go to a school, get your child out of these public schools. You say, well, I think I'm right and you're wrong, but if, listen, you know, you know, that it's not going to hurt a child teaching the Bible in decency. Listen to me. That little mother said to me, I don't have any chance to do it over. If you build a car and it doesn't work, you can, you can build another one. You paint a painting, it doesn't work, you can paint another one. You build a building, it blows down, you can build another one. But ladies and gentlemen, mothers and fathers, you will never have another chance to rear that child when that child is grown, he's grown, and he's gone. And if you make a mistake, if you make a mistake, you'll never have a chance to rectify that mistake. Never, 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 never. I used to with the house. I teach in public schools. I'm not against you. Just go right ahead, and I mean it. Do a good job. We have some leading school officials in our church. And by the way, often they write me letters of appreciation after I preach a sermon like this. What else is the answer? We're going to have to come to the place where we give as much to God as the communists do to their revolution. We're going to have to give everything. We're going to have to have across this nation a lot of meetings like we had Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday right here where our young people know what it is to crusade, 
to get as excited about the pro propagation of this truth as the revolutionaries and hippies are about the propagation of communist heresy and atheism set to destroy our way of life. Ladies and gentlemen, Soviet Russia and Mr. Brezhnev are not interested in coexistence. They're only interested in padding, in, in getting to like us and getting us to give them wheat and give them uh, scientific advance, advancement and to give them what we have to give them so they in turn can destroy us. Now we better get back to realizing that they have set themselves for our destruction. They're after these kids over here. They're after their decency. They're after your baby in the nursery. They want to take that baby out of your home. They want to take that baby and put him as a subject of the state and put him under the guardianship of the state and destroy the home unit. They're after your kids. We're going to have to give everything. We're going to have to do like Moses, who said, I'm going to give my life, my entire life, to the freeing of my people from the bondage of Egypt. I can picture Moses coming in to tell his foster mother, Mom, I'm not going to be the king of Egypt. What? No, Mom. I'm not going to be the king of Egypt. Why, Moses? I'm giving my life. <coughs> All of it. Day and night. Everything I have. I'm giving it. For the deliverance of my people from bondage. Moses, don't you love me anymore? I'm your foster mother. Moses, do you know where you were when I found you? My daughter found you in the Nile River, in a little ark of bulrushes, pitched bad with pitch. That's where I found you. And you're going to turn your back on me for a bunch of slave people. Moses, I brought you up in the palace. I even brought your mother to take care of you and nurse you and be your maid. And you grew up at the feet of your mother all because of me. Moses, you are a little slave kid. You ought to have died with the other little children of the, of the Israelites. You ought to have died before you were two. And I lifted you out of the Nile River and pulled you out of the little ark dabbed with pitch made of bulrushes. And I set you in the king's palace and I made you royalty. I put you at the king's table. You ate king's meat. You wore king raiment. Moses, you didn't appreciate me. You can't leave me now. Don't you think it was pretty tough for Moses to turn his back on that kind of care. But Moses said, I'm giving everything I have to God. Peter, James, John, and others. Young people, it's sort of up to you. You see, most of us went to school and we can't comprehend it not being like it used to be. We can't understand it. You see, when I went to school, if a person was found on the school ground with marijuana, he was expelled permanently. When I went to school, I can recall a fellow who sold marijuana at a restaurant right across the street from our school, 
and the entire school student body and the community rose up against him, and he was put in the penitentiary for years. Oh, but your, I'm sorry, but many of your parents think the school's like it was when they were there. It's sort of up to you to crusade and give everything you have to God to help save this nation. Well, I know the temptations. I've had them. I recall one day when I was in college, a faculty committee put a little note on the bulletin board for Jack Hiles to come to a certain office. I went to a certain office and there was a faculty committee. And the spokesman said, Jack, we want to talk to you about your future. You're a troublemaker in college. We had a play in college called Cigarettes, Whiskey, and Wild, Wild Women. And you've been spreading around the student body. That's ungodly. I said, yes. And I said, I hope they've all heard it too. For a Christian school to have a play called Cigarettes, Whiskey, and Wild, Wild Women, every student has a right to know how wicked it is. And the head of the faculty said, you have a bad spirit. And I said, thank you. And I intend to have a bad spirit toward whiskey, and I intend to have a bad spirit toward cigarettes, and I intend to have a bad spirit toward wild, wild women. And they said, we'll never give you a recommendation from this school to pastor a church unless you change your stand. And I said, "'Twas not the committee that called me to preach. "'Twas not this school that promised to lead me. "'Twas not this school that set out put before thee an open door that no man can shut." I said, "'There's two things you can't shut, folks. "'One is the door that God opens for me, "'and the other is this mouth.'" And that still goes for you, too. And I recall when I walked out of that, that, that faculty meeting that day, I looked up and said, God, I'm going to find out whether you're alive now. Well, I've got an announcement to make to you and a notice to serve to you. <laughs> he is alive, but more than that, he is very well, in perfect health. I recall the day when the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Marshall, Texas, called me on the telephone and said, I want to talk to you. I went to his office. He said, Jack, he said, if you ever have a big church, <laughs> you've got to trim your message. You will never preach to great crowds. I had a little church with 50 in Sunday school then. He said, you'll have to preach to great He said, you know, he said, you can't go to the top preaching like you preach. And I said, but sir, I've been fishing enough to know that only the dead fish go to the top. He said, now listen, son, you better listen to somebody who knows. He said, you will never preach to great crowds. When I was 26 years of age, I preached to 12,000 people in San Antonio, Texas. And when they introduced me, I walked up to speak, and there's a fellow sitting on the platform because he couldn't find a seat anywhere else. He's sitting back behind the curtain. And I, I, I stepped on his toe. I didn't mean to. Looked over, and it was that fellow who told me I'd never have anybody to preach to. 
No, I didn't. You, you, you think I stepped on on purpose. Now, don't you doubt me. It hurts me when you doubt me like that. I know what you're thinking. If I'd have stepped on on purpose, he'd never have walked again. I recall the day when the president of my college called me after I'd graduated. Dr. H. D. Bruce called me from long distance from Marshall, Texas. I was pastoring in Garland. He said, Brother Howells, could I take you out to eat? I'm going to be in Dallas on a, at a convention. I said, of course you can. I met him at the Baker Hotel. He sat across the aisle, the, the, the table from me, <clears throat> and said, Mr. Howells, your college wants to honor you, but we can't because you preach too hard against sin. He said, you can be against sin without naming it. You'll forgive me for saying this, but he said it, and I like to brag a little bit on this. But bear with me, as Paul said in my vanity for a minute. He said, you and one other young man, Tim Trammell, are the two best men we've turned out in the history of our school. Now, he said, you're the only hope this college ever has for fame. He said, as fast as you, your church has grown, if you'd, if you'd just come back to our school, let us honor you. You'd do more for your old school. Now, he said, we'll honor you if you'll just trim your message. And I said, Dr. Bruce, I wouldn't trim my message for a position on the Supreme Court or the top job in the White House. He shook his head, bowed it, and said, you're the same old Jack. Same old Jack. I was down in East Texas recently. The pastors who have the second, uh, graduates of East Texas Baptist College who pastor the second, third, fourth, and fifth, and sixth, and the, the, the ten churches under me pastored by students, I'm sure the twenty other churches, top twenty other than ours, wouldn't add up to be as big as this church. They called and asked if I could speak on chapel. And they said we we're already scheduled. I went back to my college and walked up and down the halls as a visitor and nobody interested. You know why? I decided years ago I was going to do my best to give God every little thing I had and serve Him and preach the truth and not trim my message and stand what I thought was right. I recall the day that my Uncle Harvey called me on the phone said, Son, I want, to have, I want to take you out to lunch. We went to the Mercantile Bank building, the cafeteria in the basement in Dallas, Texas. Uncle Harvey looked across and he said, Son, I'm proud of you. He said, If you'll do one thing, I'll, I'll, I'll put you in my business and make you a partner in my business. It'll be worth $250,000. My uncle's office boy was worth $100,000. His office boy. He said, I'll put you in my business. You'll be a partner. And it'll be worth $250,000 to you. If you'll do one thing. If you'll go to the seminary that I say go to and get a doctor's degree, I'll give you a quarter of a million dollars. And ladies and gentlemen, in that day, a quarter of a million dollars would be two million today. I've had my chance. I've had my chance. man came to me one day in Garland, Texas, and said, I want you to head up a church loan fund 
I'll give you $100,000 a year salary. I said, no. You know why? You know, I was thinking last night about folks hating me. I may be hated, but I preach it like I preached it 27 years ago. And I've stood like I, I stand tonight, like I stood 27 years ago. You know why? I want these three little girls over here to have a Sunday school to attend. Mr. Brezhnev would close the doors. Sweetheart, would you come up here just a minute? The one in the middle. That's it. You come up here. man who was on television today in our nation would make it illegal to teach her the Bible. The man we honored this week would put us in prison for three years to five years if we had a Sunday school for her. The man who was on television in our nation today would take this little girl away from her parents and make her state property. The man who was on television today would see to it she never saw a Bible as long as she lives. And the little soul that beats in this breast tonight would burn in hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And you're looking at one fella that's going to keep on going up and down this country. And I'm going to holler as loud as I can holler. And I'm going to try to stir preachers as long as I can stir them. And I'm going to try to build soul in the churches and get soul in the churches built and stir our young people. And I'm going to, I mean, maybe she will go to hell someday. Or maybe she will have to live without a Bible, without a church. But, brother, when I lay down my life and breathe my last breath, I want to look her in the eyeball and say, Sweetheart, I try to have you have a free country. God bless you. It's going to take our best. Hear ye the Master's call. Give me thy best. For be it great or small, that is his test. Do then the best you can, not for reward, not for the praise of man, but for the Lord. She's about gone. She's about gone. I don't know what it does to you, but it just tears me up. I don't know how you feel. But when I see Mr. Nixon honoring Mr. Brezhnev and communism in Russia, sometimes I feel like all these years have been wasted. I've carried this country on my shoulder for years. I've cried over the cities of this nation. I pray, when I pray, I pray on a map of America. I get on my knees at least once a day on a map of America and pray on a map. I've got that map circled. Cities that I'm praying God will give a great preacher to and a great church to. All we hold dear is going to go if we don't give it all. Does he have all of you tonight? Huh? Huh? 
moms and dads. Every teacher that teaches in our schools, I interview, whether it's college, high school, junior high, or one of our grade schools, I interview them. I watch the way they sit. I watch their shoes, their tie, their mannerisms, their eyes, their countenance, their posture. I ask them questions that are loaded to the hilt. I'm doing my best to put in classrooms in this, this area the kind of teachers that will make godly, decent young people of your children. Moms and dads, I plead with you tonight. I plead with you. Put your children in a Christian school. Brother Hyle, she's on her knees when she was 14 begging me. I wish I'd have sold my shoes and taken the clothes off my back, but it's too late. She's gone. And those are the words that I've heard so much. I hear them ringing in my ears at night. Don't let that be your story. Don't let that be your story. <coughs> I wonder how many with heads bowed. <coughs> you parents would say, Brother Hiles. I have a child, at least one, who's not in the Christian school. I'm going to correct that in September. I'm going to correct that in September. If I've got to get a second job, if I've got to, if I have to go to work myself to help my husband, I'm going to correct that in September. My child's going to go to a Christian school. He or she is not now, but September, he will or she will. Would you lift your hands, parents, with no one looking? All over the building. All over the building. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, and others. Would you join us for raising your hand, please? Who else? Who else? You can drop your hands. Blessed be God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if 50 kids could be saved through this service tonight? Wouldn't it be wonderful if 50 lives could be changed? I recall the day that Paul Moffat came to my office. If you could see that boy the day he came to my office the first time and compare him with what he is tonight, you'd believe what I'm talking about. And others the same way. The same way. Thank you for listening, and if you liked this, please subscribe and consider liking my Facebook page and joining my group Jesus Answers Prayer.